You're listening to Hawk Talk, the official podcast of Monmouth University Athletics. Here are your hosts, Eddie Acapinti and Greg Viscomi. Another week, another Hawk Talk episode. Appreciate you joining us, Eddie Acapinti, Greg Viscomi. It's pretty fun to be able to do this. I actually think it's the best part of the workday for me. We might Easily. have to increase the, the frequency, just even me and you coming in, just rapping a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we just had a whole off-air, non-recorded session on the state of the NFL and and uh, lawsuits and everything else, but <laughs> that's not this show. That, that is, is not, not this show. That is not this show. You tune into this show because you want to know the inner workings and the personalities behind what makes everything happen here with the Monmouth University Athletics Department, and that's what Greg and I are here to bring you. If you want more content because you all want more content you must subscribe rate review and listen to the king and badger podcast very good they do a a great job it's weird that greg and i do the podcast that is like the more informative less fun one but i feel like they have the other ones definitely they have a lot of more fun yeah i sit there and i engineer the other one and they have a lot of fun it makes me feel like not fun i know i'm getting old but i thought we were still fun we are, but I think if we really wanted to have fun, we'd probably both get fired on this. It's <laughs> a fair point. Yeah, we want this to have a certain rating because we want everyone to be able to digest this content. And the the feedback's been great. We appreciate all of you wa- uh, listening to this. Uh, fans thought me at the last home basketball game and said, you know, I didn't know half of this stuff that goes on. And that's, I think, the whole reason that we do what we do. But the other reason we do what we do is you get to find things out that you would never have found out otherwise. If you live in the Jersey Shore area, we are not used to this snow that we, snow. we got the other day. It was crazy. Uh, school was was closed right outside of the athletics events um, over the weekend. And But if you were on social media, and we invite all of you to, to obviously follow us on every channel possible, uh, you saw Mama Student Athletes doing a great job making an impact, not just on the field, but off the field, you know, I feel bad sometimes our spring sports, you know, they start their season and it's winter, but if you were coach Ehalt's baseball squad, you made the most of your time this past weekend, Greg, there was a great tweet that was sent out and it kind of made the rounds on social media with, uh, you know, some of the members of, of the baseball team doing their part, helping out with the snow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we got, you know, first it was screen captured and sent to me whatever morning it was Saturday, it must've been Saturday morning. And then um, kind of grew legs from there. But uh, a, a number of young men on the baseball team uh, by the name of Ben Winstead, Trey Dombrowski, Ryan Bierce, Harry Patton, Dante Shermella, and Brady Mutz uh, dug out a neighbor. I guess they live in a neighborhood, dug out a neighbor whose uh, husband was in the hospital with a heart condition. So, and, and that person decided to make it public and that's just awesome. And that's, a testament, a testament to um, the type of kids that Coach E. Hall brings in his program and uh, the type of kids we have here at Mama. So that I think that was great. It's so important, I think, because this is a it's a school that's situated in a neighborhood, right? And I think everyone hears, and if you didn't go to Mama, if you don't work here, you only come for games, you don't realize it's as much a part of this local community mm-hmm. as you get. My family lives a mile away. There's students in their neighborhood. Anywhere, you go down Palmer Avenue, right? And I think that's where this was. It's just all, you know, it's full-time residences, it's students. So it's great to see, you know, you go to some college campuses and where the students live, it's 
not the best relationship in those areas. You yeah, know? it's really adversarial. Yeah, and, and it's just not here because of where we are. Where we're literally in a. I mean, I'm in your office right now. I'm looking at homes. There's a farm next door. Literally three deer. Yeah, we're in New Jersey. Right, we're a mile to the ocean, and this family of deer is just prancing around in your backyard. Yes, and uh, some of our coaches who are big in the hunting game are always telling me that if this was upstate New York, they would have great shots, or I don't know, I don't hunt, I don't know. <laughs> and then you say, thank goodness we live in New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not, so trick out an animal. Let me hide in the woods for 25 minutes to cover myself in uh, deer smell, so I don't kill it. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. A whole the bottom line podcast. is, baseball out there representing in the in the neighborhood, we love when our kids do great stuff in the community, and we wanted to shout them out um, on the, on this forum. And certainly we'll be looking forward to them as they get started in two weeks' time down south, as always. Yeah, we'll see them in, in like mid to late March. And same thing with softball and the lacrosse's play up here, obviously, you know, sooner than that. And um, we would be remiss if we didn't mention our guest today, thankfully inside, right, in an indoor sport. But our guest today is Mammoth Women's head bowling coach Karen Greigel. Great conversation with Coach that you'll get on a little bit later on. But but there's some marquee things going on in the world of college athletics. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've had a chance, you know, with Coach Callahan to talk about, you know, name, image, and likeness. We've talked transfer portal. But but there's other things that are important that are going on. And one of those is the second national signing day when it comes to a lot of the fall sports. And this one, obviously, is football. And, Greg, I know we've been here long enough to see this change. National Signing Day used to be a day, mm-hmm. but now not that way anymore. Yeah, and, and for FCS schools, it's a really good thing. It's kind of changed. It, FCS schools, we do the majority of our signing now in the December date. We get we you know we want to get those kids locked in to come into Monmouth, and then we usually have a couple extra kids sign on the, on the second date, which is now – today which uh, first wednesday in february and um really just was a couple transfers and and some preferred walk-ons uh and we're just waiting for some information on on some of those guys and then we're going to kind of put that out but it's kind of changed the way it was this used to be this huge like all eyes on wednesday we get in here really early we did a show and now it's kind of the other way around now the december day for fcs schools at at least is, is much more important um and it's kind of taking the sting out of it, but it's still it's still a fun day to look around, see what kind of graphics are going on, good and bad, and uh, see where maybe some of the local kids that you kind of follow end up. And uh, it's it's a big day on college campuses. And it's the second one, as Greg mentioned. And uh, there was great coverage in December when the first signing day was going on, and now with the second national signing day, and that's something I think it's very interesting to monitor. You know, the the changing you know landscape of how. You know, student athletes are being recruited, and, and this was a most recent change to reflect some of the other calendars that are out there mm-hmm. with when seasons end and recruiting. Um, but what makes today being February 2nd, as you listen here, hopefully on Wednesday, so interesting is it's not just National Signing Day that today is, but uh, if you are around and familiar with college athletics, and I think speci- specifically if you've worked for someone like we had the chance to work for the first you know, 15 years, 14 years we were here, uh, and Dr. Marilyn McNeil, as our athletic director, you know the importance of National Girls and Women in Sports Day. You understand the importance of what Title IX means. I think if we, and you worked at other athletic departments with different athletic directors, I only know, you know, obviously now Jeff and, and Marilyn, but 
I think if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't have the same appreciation and understanding for it that I do. You could speak to it, having worked at other institutions, how important this day was, partly because of what Maryland taught us, but also partly because we get to share a hallway with some tremendous female student athletes and coaches. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, before I, I came here, I worked for another female athletic director, Joni Comstock at American. So it was a big deal there too. And uh, not to say that it isn't a big deal at other institutions. I mean, a lot of places have really spectacular senior women's administrators as we do as well. Uh, but, but when you work for someone like Marilyn McNeil and she is, it's also the 50th anniversary of title nine coming up in June. Um, it's great. Kind of crazy to me that that's only been 50 years, but mm -hmm. uh, when you work for somebody like Marilyn McNeil, like you really start to appreciate all of the things that she had to do as an administrator and as a coach to, to kind of, you know, work towards this equality and work towards these celebrations. So uh, it, it will always be a special place at Monmouth, a special time at Monmouth. I know, you know, Jeff Stapleton, we talked about, you know, he doesn't want the perception that uh, National Girls and Women in Sports Day is less important now that, you know, he's in charge than it was in Maryland was in charge. So we have some really cool stuff going on on social media. We normally have a really big program. Obviously, we won't be able to do that because of COVID. But as soon as the COVID thing clears up, we'll go right back to having that. Uh, and we know that, you know, our, our friend Chris Shaw is involved with, with pulling that off. Um, so, you know, keep your eyes peeled on social media. We've got some quotes and stuff coming out on, uh, I think coming up on the 19th of February, we'll have our own, uh, national girls and women's sports day, uh, nominees from our teams. And we're going to, uh, celebrate them at, a, at the basketball game on the 19th. And then on the 20th, the winner, cause you pick a winner, we'll go up to scene hall and, uh, and, and be celebrated up there for being, you know, the, the Monmouth nominee for national girls and women's sports day. So it, it's a really cool time. And it's a really, it's uh it's a really important thing that, that we celebrate here. Well, your, your daughter and daughters are athletes. Your wife was an athlete, you know, G you mentioned yeah. Jeff, his four daughters, you know, played and, and whether it's whatever level title nine has impacted across, you know, from the highest of levels all the way on down, and, and by no means is work done. Obviously, you, you see how much progress has been made, but how much needs to be made. And, and I know, I think that's one of the key things that Maryland taught us. Like, yes, those early pioneers and trailblazers fought the good fight to get to a point where there's still a lot of work to be done, but you can't mention it without mentioning Maryland and Joan Martin and some of the, you know, Karen Edson and just some of the, the women that we had a chance to either work alongside or work with, and you mentioned Jen Sansevero now and the great work that she's doing with her staff. So it's it's good that this is happening. You'll see college campuses and different departments have different dates for their National Girls and Women in Sports Day celebration because it has to match up with their basketball schedule right. in most cases. But today is the day, and I think it, it is pretty good that we all take a minute just to kind of think about that and what it means um, and how far things have come. Yeah, and I think some people, you know, when you talk to a lot of people who don't work in this business and they talk about title nine, the first thing they talk about is, Oh, well, let's just use the cuts, cut sports. It's used to cut male sports, use to cut wrestling. It's used to cut, used to cut baseball teams. Well, it's not, those are decisions that were made by universities to cut those sports, not because of title nine, because those schools could have very easily do what Monmouth does and add women's sports to balance out. Right. Instead of cutting men's programs, right. they're you adding women's add, sports, add women's sports. But 
So that that's just one. I'm not gonna. We're, you know, we could have a whole podcast, and maybe we should mm. on on Title Nine and and have people on, and, and maybe we will. Um, but you know, that's one misconception, and and you know, I talk to friends of mine that that'll bring that up, and that's just that's wrong. You have the opportunity to add sports if you want to balance out. It's they can use Title Nine as an excuse to cut sports and save money, right. and save staffing and all that other stuff. So save it. Yeah, or you could do what a the school like we work at does. And it's, you know what, we're going to give more opportunities and we want, we want our men to be able to play college athletics as well as the women in the right numbers. And that's why you've seen a lot of sports added the last few years. One of those sports is the women's bowling program here at Monmouth. And we were able to catch up with their head coach, Karen Greigel, who gave a, just a great account for what college bowling is. And I think educated Greg, myself, and hopefully our listeners to just the competitive nature that is around women's bowling and all of the work that goes into it. And she was our guest on this episode of Hawk Talk. We're so happy to welcome our next guest here on Hawk Talk, and it's a pleasure to catch up with all of our head coaches here at Monmouth, and specifically today's guest, because I think there's going to be a very good education for our, our listeners uh, on this, and we're happy to welcome in head bowling coach Karen Greigel, and it's kind of hard to believe, coach, already in your now 11th season. I mean, has it gone as quick as it feels like it's gone? It just seems like yesterday the university started the bowling program. Oh, absolutely. It's flown by. You know, Greg, when when we were, and we've had the ability to be here and see bowling, not only born as a team, but the beautiful facility that we have, and, and which we'll get into, obviously, because of some great generosity. But I think the biggest thing that I know I'm curious about, right, is taking the, the listener from bowling as we know it into the competitive world that Karen is in um, because we know it as a recreational activity, but it's obviously, you know, it's an NCAA championship sport and, and, you know, Monmouth plays in maybe the best league in the country, one of, and I think the listeners out there um, that know it and know Monmouth has it are going to be really intrigued by the details that go into it. Yeah. I think, like you said, most people think that it's just like something you do at a birthday party or when you want to get together with your, your friends and have a couple drinks, but uh, these girls train, they hit the they are bowling a lot and the weekends are long and the the competitions are long and it's not like, like i know me personally like when we go bowling like i'll have you know after two games i'm like all right, right like spent. my arm hurts like <laughs> i'm falling over the lane you know so it, it's it's not i think people think it's like oh yeah going out there and throw the ball a bit that's not true like the these women train they they lift they go and see our athletic trainers and they take it really seriously and, and we're pretty good at it. So uh, I think this is going to be a really cool segment uh, for, for people who love Monmouth to learn a little bit more about one of our lesser known programs. And that's why Hawk Talk is so great because, you know, Karen, it gives us this forum where uh, it's not limited to a minute or two. And I think that's important for a lot of the listeners who maybe they do support the bowling program, but they don't know all the intricacies that go into it. So as we kind of transition into that, uh, before we look at your time as a very accomplished bowler in your career, you know, now 11 years in, right? What's the biggest difference in your opinion with the Monmouth bowling program, with the Monmouth women's bowling program 
today with how you operate from recruiting, from day-to-day operations versus those first couple years when you were like other coaches in this building, right? Literally building a team from the ground up. Well, I think the most obvious difference has been the facility. Um, The Sonello family giving us that opportunity not only gave us a chance to educate and, and create moments with members of the campus community, but the local community. So through different events there, uh, whether we're hosting a scrimmage or bowling with Santa, we are able to kind of connect everyone and in that process educate everyone about what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, So again, we've been able to use it not just from a training standpoint, but also from a community building standpoint um, and create opportunities for, you know, local rising competitive bowlers to participate in higher level clinics and have access to resources as well. So I'd say that's probably been a game changer overall for our sport Uh, both on campus and in the local community. In in your local as well, what is, and and please educate everyone, the shore bowling community? You know, we talk a lot with our different colleagues here and coaches, and and certain sports are so strong in the shore. You know, we had Ginny Boggess on women's basketball, so good in the shore. How is the shore bowling community from that competitive standpoint? Because, and we'll talk about how diverse your roster is. It's amazing. But how is that local community? Is it, is it one that's kind of growing and starting? It's a community that you bowled in competitively when you were younger. Tell people about that local shore bowling community. Absolutely. So the shore conference uh, bowling community is extremely strong. Um, I grew up bowling at Ocean Lanes. And um, I mean, truthfully, I don't think it's ever really dipped. It's always been producing really strong bowlers. Um, you know, we have local professionals right out of Howell Lanes. You have Parker Bowen, uh, the third, you have Johnny Petraglia senior that are still there today, um, you know, influencing the local youth. So I think you have a lot of talent. You have Kelly Kulik up in union, um, some amazing professionals, hall of famers really. And, you know, that, that bowling community in the shore in New Jersey areas is just extremely strong. There's a real passion for it. There's a real support system for it, um, you know, through the pandemic, just some of the groups that I'm involved with, the, the level of support is incredible in that community and um, continues to grow and continues to get stronger. We've had several um, Team USA members even come through on the male and female side from the shore area and uh, coaches as well. So some that have bowled collegiately in the NCAA. I mean, I can't go to an NCAA tournament without running into a few youth now that I probably started coaching when they were just starting out. So it's really cool to see them now expanding and and going into the collegiate world and some of them, even the professional women's tour. So um, it's really amazing to see that growth um, in that area. But yes, the shore bowling community is extremely strong and still going. So, and we hope to continue to contribute that to that with our facility and with our camps and clinics and resources and, and hopefully still inspire those bowlers locally to keep doing what they're doing. You brought up uh, the bowling center a couple of times. Just tell everybody how unique that is. I mean, how many, we have a a full four lane bowling alley right here on campus attached to Boylan gym. You know, your team can bowl there presumably anytime they want. I know a lot of the members of the athletic department have bowled there. We're actually talking up a new segment uh, now that we know that Micah Seaborn is some kind of bowling savant, so we're we're, we're we Gary Kowal and I have been talking about a new segment uh, that we might want to video a little bit with with Micah bowling against people. But anyway, how how special is that to to have on a campus? Because I mean, I you know, 
a lot of campuses have different recreational activities for their students, but this was donated and made for this Division One bowling squad. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Sinello family, I think that was actually the original tent was for our team, but truthfully it has turned into so much more than that. And it's, as I said before, given us an opportunity to kind of, you know, bridge that gap on campus between the community and athletics. And so it gives us a chance to engage with professors and classes and um, administrators and faculty and staff. And, you know, I have a group of regular people that come in from facilities that love to bowl. And so it just created this sense of community. And I think that's the beauty of our sport, right? Because as you mentioned before, you know, to many, it's known as a recreation. Um, to us, it's known on the competitive side, but it's beautiful that it can balance both and also bring those worlds together at the same time. So I think that's where it's super special to have something like that on campus, especially a smaller campus where you can get to know faces and names and have those talks and make those connections on a regular on a regular day-to-day basis. I personally love having different people from all areas of campus come in regularly just to pop in and say hello and, you know, bring their families in and, and see the growth. You know, I, I mentioned our bowling with Santa event and we have several coaches that have brought their children over the years and to kind of see them progress in been here 11 years now and the facility has been here about six or seven now. So just to see their, them grow up and this has become a family event for them is really special and unique. So we're very fortunate for that opportunity. I was going to say the, the bowling with Santa is, is huge. I see the Gabriels come every year. Um, it's an awesome event. It's really cool. We have not, like every time I talk to my wife about bringing our kids up, it's like, oh, we got this or we got that. We just can't work it out. But it is a really, really cool event, and we promote it on social media, and it's for a good cause, and, and people should definitely look around that in, in December when, when we hold that event. Santa comes and get the bowl and take some pictures and have some fun, and the lanes are transformed into kind of a winter christmas theme it's it's pretty cool my students have a fun time decorating for that event. yeah so we have just let them go crazy and we really enjoy that um that time of the year and is that something that obviously it's grown with the program do, do the student athletes get kind of the whole you know kind of car blanche to go and decorate or is yep. is oh, oh i mean that's, that's <laughs> that, that alone is pretty cool it is it's a, it's a cool event it really is you can't come on campus really without seeing the bowling facility, right? It's, it's, if you were to kind of measure out everything, it's right in the middle of campus, right? If you park in the main lot off of Larchwood Avenue, it's got the great entrance from the outside. You can obviously get to it from Boylan Gym. And, you know, watching that transform, I think is, is pretty indicative of watching the team transform, right? So now 11 years, this tremendous facility. Um, But as Greg mentioned, so much more goes into your program than just, you know, bowling and that great facility. Um, educate everyone, right? How intensive is the student athlete experience for a bowler specifically here at Monmouth? Because we see them in the weight room training. And I think people don't understand how much time and how much energy goes into obviously, you know, what is a full-time job? So I guess Karen kind of take us through, you know, a day in the life of a Monmouth women's bowler um, from everything from what happens out of the lanes to obviously the, the training that goes in, in the Sanella bowling center. Absolutely. So our season is extremely long. It goes from October to April and preseason starting in September. So we're always hitting the ground running, um, coming off of any breaks, whether it be summer break or winter break. So one thing that our student athletes, you know, really have to be good at is time management. And they really have to be good at uh, balancing, you know, academics, athletics, uh, family. I have several international student athletes on the team now. So, you know, managing that through the pandemic was 
a challenge, you know, and I, I admire them all so much and their strength to work through all of that and be able to balance everything. Um, you know, that mental component and that energy component, right? Staying uh, positive mental mindset, neutral thinking and competition, but also always forward thinking from day to day to be able to balance all the challenges of a long season, like Greg was saying, long competition days. You know, our competition days usually consist of five matches per day across three days. So you're talking, you know, 10 to 15 matches in a weekend. And um, that can be really draining, um, especially when each match is about an hour long. So you're talking, you know, by the time you get to the lanes, get set up, warm up, you know, pretty much six hour competition days across three days, you know, and that's multiple weekends throughout the year. So anywhere between 10 and 12 weekends throughout the span of October to April. So their uh, mental, emotional endurance is huge part. And we started doing a little bit more training on that, working with a, a mental skills coach this year. Um, and researching some different ways that actually, you know, whether it be apps or games or, you know, things they can do to to work on that skill set of that that endurance. And especially from a nutritional standpoint, you know, our strength coach, Michael Theers, has been really fantastic in working with them on how to eat, when to eat and make sure they're keeping their energy up during those long competition days and even just long practice weeks. You know, we usually practice anywhere from, you know, two and a half to three hours at a clip. Um, that way we can simulate as much as possible that we would experience in a competition and get as much accomplished as possible. Um, but there's always flexibility to that because we're such a long season. I have to be a very flexible coach in the sense where, you know, if I have a student athlete that has an opportunity um, to, you know, job shadow someone or to go on an interview um, or even just, you know, catch up on some work, some sleep, you know, I have ad- learned to adapt to that um, and be a little bit more flexible and giving them what they need so, you know, they can get the most out of their experience. And then, you know, I can make sure that when they are able to hit the lanes and coming to hit the lanes, they can do so with confidence and with the energy that they want to have. And they're not just, you know, drained and, and kind of going through the motions. So we've definitely adapted in that sense, especially coming out of uh, COVID, just making sure that our energy levels are where they need to be. Um, something we do daily in our, uh, in our practice sessions is sort of a check-in called brags and nags or hashtag feeling. Um, it kind of gives me a temperature on where they're at. And then sometimes just after that little intro alone before every practice and every lift and every team activity, I can kind of say, you know, I, I think you should go and study for that exam. You know, if it's something that's really weighing hard on them, they'll talk about it. And I think that alone has made a huge difference in our culture and, and in our ability to have a great GPA and then also, you know, manage the travel and, and what we're doing and um, really just, you know, trusting them to be honest about where their energy levels are at, I think is important in our length of a season. And, you know, on top of all of that, our sport's extremely technical. So they need to understand the different core and cover stock dynamics. You know, when you go to a bowling center for open bowling, you're using just a basic core cover stock, um, you know, and a basic bowling ball that kind of fits your hand. You know, we have to custom fit our equipment um, so that way they can optimize uh, their performance and be able to release the ball the same trajectory, the same timing, the same ball speed, rev rate, axis tilt, axis rotation, all of these specs we collect at the beginning of the year, their positive axis point, which is the point at which, you know, their ball is, you know, spinning on an axis um, when they first release it, you know, me- taking all these measurements accounts for how we lay out all of their equipment. And all of our athletes need about six to eight balls um, that all do different things and create different shapes on the lanes. 
and uh, just to be competitive. Um, the sport in general at the higher levels has gotten extremely technical. And so that alone can be very draining and exhausting for them. So we try to make sure we have charts with us every single week. You know, I don't expect them to memorize everything because it's a lot. And from week to week, we might be changing surfaces on these cover stocks to adapt to whatever our lane conditions. You know, when we all go open bowling, there's a set oil pattern that's out. You know, it's always kind of pretty basic. Uh, we get lane pattern sheets ahead of time. Um, sort of, you know, when you go to a golf course, you know, you'll you'll kind of get a map or a layout of the course. Um, we don't get a map or layout of the topography, which is like a, a story for another time, but each lane has a different kind of topography depend on how it's been worn down. So we don't get to see that part, but we at least get to see how the lay oil has been laid out. And then from there, we have to adapt what equipment we bring, what surfaces we put on that equipment. And so it's extremely, extremely technical. Um, and so that's just sort of how the sport has evolved. Even from when I was competing at the NCAA level from 05 to 09, it has changed dramatically. And so that alone, like I mentioned before, making sure the the mental and emotional energy levels are are good and, and solid is extremely important going into a competition just as much as the physical. So as you mentioned, we do go in the weight room and lift um, two to three times a week. You know, we do a lot of different uh, mobility uh, and flexibility challenges to make sure that we're, you know, preventing injury. And my athletes are really great at taking that seriously and making sure that they're committed to it. But it's uh, the technical component alone is, has gotten really crazy. So we're trying to adapt with that and keep up with that and just make sure it's also not draining them and they can still enjoy the sport at the competitive level. So we've come up with different systems over the years to work on that. So I thought you brought up something really cool, like the, the oil patterns change. And I think it's the best way to relate it as far as I can is, is how they change the pin position in golf, right? Like making things harder, backside of the green, whatever. Are it, is it like, do you know that certain tournaments you enter are going to be more difficult because of the way they lay out the oil patterns? Is it based on alley? Is it based on, or yeah, based on lanes or is it based on um, like the competition? Like, Hey, we're going to go to, you know, whatever the cat clash. And we know that this is going to be tougher because of the way they lay out the, 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 the oil. So that's a really great question because it's, it's a yes and no. So the, a perfect example is, you know, our most recent event, we went to um, the oil pattern when we played on it here at our facility, you know, it's somewhat challenging. You know, I did we kind of knew it was going to be a little bit of a higher scoring pace, but then we got there and um, the field was extremely talented, but even still the, the scoring pace was the highest we've seen all season. Um, so sometimes the oil pattern, depending on the type of lane surface, can lay out very different than what we experience even when we practice. So we can try and practice on it, but if we're hitting a, a lane surface that is from a different manufacturer or, or is a little bit older, a little bit worn down, um, that oil pattern is going to break down a little bit different. And also the type of oil they use, the temperature in the building, there's like all of these parameters and factors that contribute to it. So, you know, when you have uh, the top five players all averaging around 240 um, for an event, versus, um, you know, our previous event where, you know, you maybe your top five players were barely maybe averaging 200, right. you know, so I, it, that's absolutely true. Like it, it can vary from event to event, um, depending on so many different factors. So lane surface, oil, but also the field as well, you know, and, and the level of competition at the field. But overall, I would say it's, uh, until we get there, we don't really know what we're, 
always deal with. We, we could make educated guesses, but sometimes we get there and have to throw our whole game plan out the window in the practice session and just start from scratch. So you, you, you have so much more of an emphasis on, you know, the word analytics gets thrown around sports all the time, but I don't know if people realize the level of technical, you know, Karen, your, you know, the way you were describing kind of everything from the way the equipment is fitted versus the release point of the ball versus the spin versus like Greg was just asking about the oil patterns. You know, I, I think that's a lot of data, right. To bring in. And is there programs to do that? Is that something that you just through your vast experience of bowling? No, no, like seriously, Seriously. you know, like it's money ball stuff, but like, how do you crunch all of that information um, for, you know, a, a full roster of eight student athletes? So we have a couple different um, stat programs that we use, like, you know, during competition that have been developed specifically for, you know, bowling and and NCAA bowling, especially um, that are, you know, then given to our coach association help with polls and things like that. But when it comes to that data, um, I think technology is still evolving. You know, we have a couple of fun little tools that we've done, but a lot of it is still very much by hand. So, you know, an athlete will go and throw a ball and then we come and they, they bring it back and we like, you know, draw out the oil rings and then we take what's called like a prosect and then we like measure out and kind of do some old school math and splitting fractions to figure out halfway points and dual angle layouts and things like that. So it's, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of spherical geometry, I guess you'd say. Oh, wow. So we still are, it's still very, um, there's a couple of different neat technological pieces that I love to get my hands on, but I, I think they're still developing and, you know, um, it's hard cause it's the bowling community is growing, but it's still, Probably not at the level, um, at the competitive, at least at the competitive level, it's not large enough to probably, you know, mass produce those those types of tools and gadgets. Um, so, you know, some of your more elite programs like your Team USAs and, and some of your international programs, you know, they might have their hands on some of that. So um, it's getting more available at the NCAA level, but... Um, Overall, you know, there there's some fun things that come out each year. Right now, I'm trying to get my hands on what's called a board box. So similar to, I guess you'd say, um, like a speed tracker for, you know, your pitchers and things like that. Um, you know, it tracks exactly where the ball crosses through the arrows, like what specific board. And, and so, And then we have some cool things called, like one thing's called the torch. And uh, it's basically this... It almost looks like a lightsaber. It's like this LED light that's super tall, and it um, it goes out over the lane, and it reflects onto the lane. So when you're standing on the approach, you can kind of move from left to right, and it creates different angles with the light. So that can help. That helps us train for like launch angles and, and creating different angles on the lane. So there's some fun, neat tools that we've started acquiring over the years. Um, but in terms of the data collection. Uh, there's really only one or two things in terms of collecting those specs, but most of us just do it by hand right now. <laughs> Old school. <laughs> Old school. Uh, you mentioned I'm blown away by the math, by the way. Uh, fractions. I my kids my, come my home from school. My chest got tight when you start talking about fractions. I can't do that. Back to, to high school, I wasn't good then. Long division fraction. Like, could you imagine doing it like on the fly where you're trying to coach your team and like give? There's no way. I, I mean, couldn't do it at home with two hours of quiet time to do homework. So no, no I couldn't. I'll need my calculator out. <laughs> like, hold on, don't go, don't go yet. I'm still trying to figure this out. So right. that that's crazy. I mean, that's awesome because I don't think people really understand. Like, there's a lot to do on the fly when you're trying yeah. to coach. You know, constantly all, for, after six hours. Talked about how draining it is on on the student athletes. Six like. On top of the actual managing your student athletes, you're worried about hotel, you're worried about travel, you're worried about meals. I'm sure you're worried about parents. 
or they make you worry about them. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's got to be exhausting for you. I mean, do, on Mondays, do you just like stay in bed and don't even get out of bed and just say, I'm going to sleep for like 14 hours and just recuperate myself? Uh, I try. It usually doesn't last very long because my mind's going a million miles a minute. Like, you know, I got to get my NCAA portal stuff in. I got to get like my stats in. So, you know, uh, for maybe about six or seven hours if I'm lucky. <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, a lot of it just comes from like planning ahead, but also including like your student athletes in the process. Like I found over the years that, you know, sometimes what we'll do is we'll do some inner team competition stuff leading into a tournament and I'll be like, okay, the winner gets to pick where we go to dinner one night, you know, and, and kind of make it fun. Or, you know, I always kind of prep them in advance or if, you know, we're, you know, it, it sounds like it would be distracting, but sometimes like, you know, during the course of the day, as we get into a third, fourth match, um, you know, if I see them kind of starting to like fade a little bit, you know, we have a, a three frame system. So it's every three frames, you either need to go get a sip of water or you need to take a bite of a snack. So that way they're constantly hydrating, constantly like snacking. And usually one person will kind of take the lead on that and be checking in all the time. Um, but then, you know, as we get into that third, fourth, fifth match of the day, you know, sometimes to just lighten things up a little bit, I'll change the topic, right? You know, if we're hitting a pair that's like super grueling and we're just trying to grind, it's like, you know, we'll start like a hangman game actually. So it's like, if they get a strike, they can pick a vowel or a consonant. If they get a spare, they can just only pick a consonant. And I mean, it sounds silly, um, but it, it definitely helps kind of actually get the focus back. And I think it relaxes everyone a little bit too. So when you're starting to hit that wall, um, it kind of brings everything back to life. We've done fun games where, like, you know, there's a app where you can create a wheel. And so there's, like, fun little things that you can put on the wheel. Like, it'll be, like, go get a drink of water. Go get a snack. Um, do 10 jumping jacks, you know. And so, like, they'll have to, like, spin the wheel after they fall, uh, bowl or whatever. And so we've come up with a lot of different fun strategies. And, and I've, we've watched – basically, we've just picked those up from other teams, so, you know. So we've we've talked with other teams and coaches over the years that have – um, you know, great success and, and have won multiple championships and kind of ask, like, what are you doing? Like when you start to get drained and these are just some of the tools that we've learned from them, actually. So it's, you know, I, I, I want to say it's unique to us, but it's not. You know, we all kind of have our own little things that we do uh, as as coaches and as as programs to kind of keep everyone engaged. And when we see people starting to get overwhelmed or faded, just bring it back to fun, you know, because at, at this point in time, especially last year, um, you know, just getting to attend an event and, and getting through the COVID testing and, and getting the green light to go. Um, you know, everything was just, um, I think fun, you know, like we was like, we get to go play, right? Like who, who would have thought like, you know, we we're all negative. We all get to go play. Like, this is awesome. Um, you know, and I think coming out of that this year, there's definitely a little bit more pressure again to, meet certain expectations from a performance standpoint. So right now we're trying to balance that, right, of just bringing it back to that mentality of like, hey, we get to go, we get to go compete, we get to go have fun, like, let's bring it back to that. Because when we did that, great things happened. And we had a great last season, you know, even though it was short. Um, so I think we're trying to get back to that, those basics too, of just like, you know, are are we enjoying this? Are we having fun? Because that's, that's the most important part, right? Like, we like to win, like, you know, that's why we're doing this. But are we winning in a way that is is helping us grow? And are we winning in a way that's fun, right? Because if we can't enjoy this experience, you know, uh, we went to the Desi Strong Classic, um, which was hosted by Delphi University in the fall. And Desi's message is we get to, right? So we started adopting that. It's like, okay, well, we, we get to do these things. And I think that if we can go in every day with that mindset, we get through those longer days. 
um, as you were saying. And that's, as me as a coach, getting through, you know, all of that managing and, and prepping. And um, at least this season, it's not managing, planning, and then starting from scratch and doing it all over again, like maybe 48 hours before we're supposed to leave because things just changed so rapidly. So it's actually nice because it's getting back to like, oh, I can plan like three weeks in advance and not have to change it like five times. <laughs> so, uh, and my parents are amazing. I have an amazing group of parents and an amazing group of um, uh, so aunts, uncles, family members. So they're truly incredible, and we have a great little community that we created in a Facebook group. And, I mean, just the support in that alone, you they're just absolutely amazing. And if, you know, I'm trying to struggle to get to another pair and I have, like, you know, the live stream in my hand, like, with the, the camera tripod and then, like, the snack bag or something, they, like, jump right in or, like, what can we get for you, Coach? You know, so I'm very, very fortunate in that sense that I always have extra hands kind of helping me along the way. Well, that community is represented by student athletes. There's eight on the on the roster, right? Six different states, and then two different countries outside of of the United States. So that community very much is, I mean, just by the numbers, it's the most diverse roster on on a team by percentage because it, it's not even like any of these student athletes grew up, you know, a town away from each other. So the group that you mentioned, with kind of everyone willing to chip in and help, how important is that? especially with a roster that has so much just it's so unique in, in so many different backgrounds just within this country yet alone from Costa Rica and Australia as well um, it's extremely important and you know they the parents um, are so involved and engaged in a, in a positive way right you know um, they buy into our culture of like you know we're gonna win as a team we're gonna lose as a team and it's not always about like who's throwing the ball it's about what we're doing to get better as a group. And, you know, they really subscribe to that. So in the recruiting process, you know, I make sure I tell the parents, you know, this is as much of me recruiting your athlete as it is you as parents, because, you know, it's not just your daughter that's going to be part of this program. You're going to be part of this program. Um, and I think that's, that makes them feel really special and really connected, um, even though they might be halfway around the world. You know, um, they're still very much engaged. And, you know, I grew when I was in college, my team, was very similar you know there were anywhere from eight to ten of us during the course of the four years actually my sophomore year there were only seven of us and um, we were from all over the country and I really thought that made my experience that much more special because I got to learn so many things and I even you know in off time got to visit so many places so you know so many of my athletes are now going to Costa Rica or Australia or you know, to um, Maryland or to California or, or wherever I have athletes. Um, and the alumni, you know, stay connected too in that community and group. And so, you know, if we're traveling somewhere, you know, they're like, I'm going to come visit and, you know, I'm going to cheer for you guys. And they're there supporting. So, um, you know, it's, I always find when you can bring people in from all different places um, and give them an opportunity to engage and do something they love, um, you know, having that, that diversity is just, it's huge because it teaches them not only a little bit about different areas, um, different, you know, fun, uh, I guess, colloquialisms or quirks or, you know, we all have our things, you know, like us Jersey people are Taylor ham or pork roll, right? Like, you know, we all have our little funny quirks and things from our different regions. So um, it's really fun to listen to them, especially in like van rides and just like, the, the way they're like, how do you say that word? Or what do you, you know, like, or, or what do you call that? And, you know, it's like, 
what is it, roof versus roof? You know, that's a that's a debate topic sometimes. So it's it's fun, and I think it gives them a new experience and gives them connections outside of you know, maybe the bubble that they grew up in. And for me, that's what it was. So that's what I always want for them. And I think that's kind of what college is all about, right? Like I never left New Jersey till I went to school. And then I met a bunch of people, many of which were from New Jersey, but I met a bunch of people from different areas. And, and I didn't even have the experience that, that these women are having meeting people from other countries or traveling around the country and spending so much time together. It's, it's just awesome. And it's, I, can, I think what we kind of brag about at this school is come here and kind of enrich your entire life and open your eyes and and um, not just learn in a classroom, but learn out of a classroom. And I think our athletes get that opportunity specifically when they have international uh, teammates or teammates from around the country. Well, and I think so many times the the students and the student athletes that come here that, that get to know each other, and I can speak from that undergraduate experience, you know, your athletes are doing the same thing for a lot of their classmates. You know, there's a lot of their classmates that are probably from New Jersey. So they're bringing that, that culture here with them. And I think that that's, what's really interesting about kind of, you know, a campus that's gotten so much more diverse, especially in my time, just as an employee and seeing things with additions like this program, right? Without the, there was no women's bowling program when I was in school. So those experiences weren't kind of, you know, weren't here. And Karen, I think it's interesting. It brings me to a question about your experience. You started the program here, but you were a part of Vanderbilt where you attended first recruiting class in 2005. So this theme of, of kind of being a trailblazer of starting things kind of goes way back to when you were recruited. I don't have to ask you what brought you to Vanderbilt. That institution speaks for itself, but starting a program as a student athlete and then as a coach and the hyper success that you had in college, what are the parallels between those two? You know, did you draw on any, on any experience from your time being recruited as a student athlete to then when you were tasked with leading a program? Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, I think one of the key ones was making sure I had a team that, you know, came from all different backgrounds. Um, you know, and, and it's hard because there is such a great bowling community locally um, and strong bowlers locally um, but many of them, you know, because I'm from the local area, you know, I'll, I'll have them come in and, and I have to ask them, I was like, you know, what are you looking for in your college experience? You know, are you looking to stay local? Or are you looking to, you know, go somewhere different? Cause you can always come back, you know? And so, um, you know, I think one of the key things is, is making sure that I have a team that from my experience, you know, at Vandy, um, that is from different backgrounds in different areas and, and can bring different things to the table, and then another thing is, is just, um, you know, a lot of, we actually are doing a drill that in practice right now that I did at Vandy that I know some of my athletes are not huge fans of, and I wasn't either. And I make sure to emphasize that and be like, listen, you know, all of your arguments are valid. And, and I made these arguments as a student athlete, but I can tell you that in the long run, once you get better at this, it will work and make a difference. And, you know, and so I think drawing on those experiences that sometimes you have to What do is things. that drill? <laughs> it's called a circuit and basically it's it's a spare shooting drill with like a full rack of pins. Like we have the capabilities to just drop spares and hit spares, but you know, when you do that, um, basically you almost have like fifteen boards in this room for a key pin, right? To the right and left based on the diameter of the ball and, and the, the diameter of the belly of the pin and where you need to hit it to knock it down. And so this drill, because all the pins are up. You have to like knock off certain pins without hitting others. And so it narrows that range of miss room, right? Because in order to do that, you have to be that much more accurate. And 
So it's, it's hard, right? And the argument a lot of times is like, well, if that pin wasn't there, like I still would have made the spare. And it's like, I'm not saying you wouldn't have, but what I'm saying is your margin for error to hit those two pins when that other pin is standing there and like kind of clip it off is a lot harder and you have less room to, to miss. Whereas if that pin doesn't exist and it's just the, the normal spare that's there. Well, yeah, you have a lot more room because you don't have to worry about hitting the other. So it's like, it's a, it's a challenge, right? Like it's, it's hard. And, and I won't lie, like to this day, it is my go-to drill that I'll, I'll do. Cause I know how hard it is mentally because you know, like, well, I still would have made that, but it's like, yeah, you would have made it, but like you weren't dead accurate making it, you know? And I think that was one of the <clears throat> takeaways that I took was it wasn't just about, you know, strikes and spares and, and accomplishing that. It was how you were accomplishing it and, and were you doing it effectively and efficiently and were you understanding your pin reaction and were you able to hit exactly where you said you were looking? And so kind of taking it to that next level of accountability and ownership, um, you know, and I, I think there's a, a big cultural shift and it's been hard because over the last I can't necessarily talk to my athletes the way I was talked to. And I can't, um, and to be honest, you know, there are some phrases and things that were said to me. I'm like, yeah, I was probably not the best, but you know, um, you know, I, and I, and what I mean by that is more so just, um, you know, I kind of have to, I guess, massage the language and approach things in a little bit different manner. Um, because this generation is extremely technical, extremely intelligent. Um, and you know, you can't just, you can't just sell them on like, well, it's, it'll work, you know, like you have to explain things at a much more detailed level. Um, and that's something I've learned, especially over the last couple of years. And so that's challenged me, you know, to make sure I understand the technicalities and every little detail to the best of my ability, because they're going to ask those questions because they're just, I mean, they have a, like literally a pocket encyclopedia in their hand and their phone. So they can Google anything at any point in time. So I need to make sure that, you know, I have those answers because they're going to ask like the super, super deep technical questions. Whereas like, I was just like, yeah, just tell me, tell me what I need to do. Like, you know, I'll just, that's, it's fine. I don't want to do this, but I'm just going to do it. I don't need to know why, like, this is what I was hired to do, so to speak. Right. But, um, but this, this generation coming forward and I talk with coaches in other sports too, it's like, they want to know the nitty gritty. Like they want to know all the details are super technical. They want to, they want to know and explain and, and, and understand things at, at a whole new level. And, um, in a way it's been challenging, but it's been fun. Cause I think it's opened my eyes a little bit more to how we can be creative with the game, um, and how we practice and how we compete. So, um, you know, as we mentioned before, lots of numbers, lots of things, but, um, Overall, I think it's it makes it kind of even more fun because now we're diving in at a different level. I, I think this held true a couple of years ago, and I, I'm trying to think. I don't think it's changed. You are the only coach in the department to win a national championship in their sport as a player. Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm thinking around. I think it's still uh, accurate. I don't think Angela, she didn't win one at Maryland. Well, we could. I mean, if you really want to keep it simple, we could say head coach. She's definitely the only head coach. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure. I, I think, think you're she, accurate. I think she might be the only yeah. coach to win. Like uh, Bobby Knight and Meeks. Ooh. They might have won a national title. Or are they just Final Four team? Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> only head coach to win a national championship. So, to, I mean, I think that's really important. There's not a lot of people who can say that, obviously. Right. Um, 
what about that experience and, and what about how much in recruiting do you use in that experience of winning a national title? Uh, obviously it gives you a ton of validity. I mean, you've reached the highest point that you can in, in your sport and, and how special was that? I mean, I'm sure you think about it, you know, and, and have reunions and whatnot. It was, it was really a unique situation because we were such a young team. Um, there were only seven of us and we were all freshmen and sophomores. So, um, you know, we had some seniors that, had continued on from the first year of the program when it was just students on campus. Um, and they were kind of like mentors for us. And, and to be honest, they, um, even though they didn't throw a ball all season, they were extremely important in our success. Um, and I always, uh, I don't so much share it from a recruiting standpoint for validity and, and, and myself as a coach, but I, I share it in the recruiting process um, as a story of how there's like no role is too small. And that's kind of how I want my culture to be is the understanding that whether you're getting a, a bottle of water for someone who's in the lineup and throwing a ball who's starting to fade, or whether you're the one throwing the second strike in the 10th for us to win, um, all of those roles are extremely important because without one of them, we can't be successful as a group. So uh, when we won the national championship, there were there were seven of us bowling, but the, the roster was bigger. We had some upperclassmen, like I said, who were just students from that first year, um, that had stuck around and stuck with us and, and kind of mentored us since we were so young. And they uh, came up with this game um, when we were bowling called like the adjective game. Um, and I'll never forget it. And I've, I've told it in every interview I've done and in every recruiting trip I've had, because I think it emphasizes that importance of what it means to be a team and, and how no role is too small and can have a major impact. So the two seniors, like I said, they, they didn't throw a ball all year, but they came up with this game because they saw we were getting very nervous, um, but we were bowling very well, and we were almost getting nervous about that. Like, like we could actually do this. We could actually win this. And when it was starting to sink in, we were getting nervous and tight. So they um, came up with this game where if we got a strike, they we got an adjective, and the one was an English major. So, of course, she came up with creative, fun words and mm-hmm. – you know, went through A through Z through the alphabet, and then we, had, we were like, well, let's see if we can, like, you know, get how many times we can get through. Well, in that process, we ended up shooting a Baker 300 in the qualifying round because of that game. And then, you know, it kind of even helped us when we were on television. Um, you know, we kind of had some other quirky things that we were doing and to help each other out during those moments of stress. And, I mean, they were just fantastic, you know. And, you know, everyone says, you know, it's like, well, they, they were just as much a champion and – you know, at the ring ceremony, you know, we, we kind of um, made sure we emphasized to them the importance of what they did for us, even though we were the ones throwing the ball, like, we don't know if we would have won without them. And we made sure to tell them that. So like, I mean, they deserve to be wearing this ring. And I mean, I wear this ring every day religiously. And I, to as a reminder um, of all those things, right. Um, so when I'm coaching, you know, and when I'm working with my team, it's like, you know, that this doesn't happen with just one person or it doesn't happen with just the people that are throwing the ball at the time. Um, you know, and, and in the documentary that came out from um, the SEC network a few months ago, one of my teammates got to talk about, you know, her experience kind of getting thrown in in the television show. So, you know, I think that's important too. You know, she had barely bowled through qualifying all week. And then, you know, one of our, one of our teammates got to television and was just like, I, I'm not good. Like this is, I'm not doing hot. Like, and she came in um, off the bench and got it done, you know? So I think it just goes to show 
especially in how long our tournaments are on any given day, it can be anyone's game. Um, and that, you know, when we're the most successful as a team is when actually, you know, those situations happen and we just adapt and, and whoever has a line, whoever's throwing it well that day, um, or even in that match or that moment, it can change from match to match, you know, um, we just roll with that and buy in that no matter what, we still have to win as a team. You know, there's, there's no individual champion on the NCAA bowling side, which is, really difficult um, to explain in the recruiting process sometimes because you have so many talented bowlers that are coming up and, you know, maybe they bowled on high school teams. High school bowling isn't everywhere in the country. So a lot of what they're doing is individual tournaments. So bringing them into that new culture of like, you know, you know, you're not so-and-so you're a mammoth hawk. And what does that mean? You know, and that was a conversation back from my captains when I was a high school student athlete. So, you know, um, my high school team won three of the four state champions when I was there of my four years. And our captains, I will never forget my freshman year, were like, you know, you're no longer Karen Greigel, you're a brick dragon. Remember that when you're on the lanes. So um, I think that always stuck with me too. So even going back to my high school years, like those those championships experiences, I think all just kind of carried through. Um, Now, you know, trying as a coach and came close with the MEX last year. So that was our, our first, uh, first finals. So, um, against a very strong team, um, coach Kim is former team USA coach and, uh, she has some amazing athletes and, you know, so that was an honor just to even, you know, make it to that final and, and coach against such an elite program as in North Carolina A&T. So. Well, check that SEC story documentary out. It's called Vandy Rolls. It's on ESPN Plus. So if you have your subscription for following Hawks Athletics, you can check out uh, that documentary uh, that coach is talking about. Um, we'd like at this time to to kind of shift gears a little bit, and um, you know we we thank you for obviously getting us so into and our listeners into the world you know of collegiate bowling, and I think it's so interesting. But but now we need to focus on you for just a minute, and we'd like to ask all of our guests. You know, kind of questions that make you think a little bit. And I think the the one that I'm always interested in with the answer, and President Leahy uh, answered the, for um, this for us on our last episode, but let's say that in the rare time, like we detailed with your schedule, that you're home for a, a couple of hours, and you're flicking around and flipping around television, what is the movie or what are the movies that will always grab your attention? What are those ones that when you're kind of flipping around, or, you know, the one or two that, that are always going to, to really captivate you when you're busy, when you're in the middle of a million things that you could sit down and say, you know what, this is one of, I need this for a couple of minutes. What are those movies for Karen Greigel? Such a tough question because, uh, fun fact, my parents uh, owned video rental stores when I was growing up, so oh. I oh. lived for movies. Um, I was a huge movie nerd. Um, I think, like, ones that I'm just – will just never give up are uh, – two that I'll never give up are Jurassic Park and Twister. Ever since I was, like, a little girl, I loved those movies. Um, the original Jurassic Park, not two or three. Mm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I – Got into Star Wars, like, later in life. So, you know, that's actually, like, a fun Christmas tradition with my family. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, like, I would say, though, if I... It depends. Like, if I'm looking for something inspiring, I'll go to some of those, um, you know, sports movies. Like, Remember the Titans, um, The Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks. Um, as a kid, um, there was another... Uh, the Little Giants course the big mm. green like some there's some there's some uh sports movies that I, I 
if especially younger listeners aren't going to remember any of them, uh, Miracle, like there's, there's well, if their parents are doing a good job, they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've watched all those with our kids. <laughs> well, we grew up watching those. And we, got, now we, have, it's... We, we have to kidnap Mark and and drop him off at Karen's parents' house because that he's never seen a movie. And those are all required viewing. Yeah, for anyone. Jurassic who, Park is an awesome movie. Yeah. It, that's for I me too. That's a must tense. stop. Like I yes. know every almost word of that movie, and I still get tense. The, yeah, when they're in the room, and you know, the, I don't want to spoil it. Get, get, <laughs> if it you're came spoiling out in a movie from 1993, we're in trouble. Yeah, but when they're in that room, and the and the Velociraptor walks in, and the two like that still gets me because I remember when I was 10 watching that how I felt. So I'm with you, Coach. I'm right with you. I'm uh, telling you, the musical scores. That's what it is. I think that's what gets me every time because the the sound. I I actually. I took a soundtrack to film class when I was at Vandy. It was like my only film class I took and I absolutely loved it. And it made me appreciate and like nerd yeah, out. Like right. every time I watch a movie now, I'm like, I am feeling this emotion because they are making this sound in this moment. And like, it's just two companies that do that better than anything are, I think uh, Pixar and, and St- Lucasfilm. Like you talked about star Wars, like John Williams, who, who does all of those scores it's amazing and you're 100 percent right the music we talk about it when we make like highlight videos like every angle of dunking a basketball and everything is cool but if you find the right sound and you sync the video up to the sound that's really what sends the chills up your spine when you're like really into it so those are good picks (laughs) we haven't really been disappointed yet with that question no everyone has given I think good, but also interesting answers. I'm like, waiting for somebody to give a bad answer. I'm going to hammer them. Right. But oh, we haven't had no, it yet. I'm just kidding. I, do nerd, I have to admit, though, I do nerd out on Marvel movies. I, They're great. Oh. They're great. Still trying. My son, his birthday is this coming week, and we're trying to go. We still haven't seen Spider-Man because of COVID and everything. And I think finally we're going to hazmat suited up and, and go and try to <laughs> go and try to see it this weekend, I hope. So I'm, I'm very excited to see the new Spider-Man. So I'm with you on that, too. No, I, I mean, whether it was the movie choices or, or kind of taking us inside of the world of NCAA Bowling, Karen, we really appreciate the time. And uh, you said it, it's a long season, so fans can still, you know, stay tuned to what's going on with this team. It had a great result and great results, you know, over the last few weeks. So go to mamathawks.com, check out the women's bowling page. We appreciate a few minutes here with the head coach, Karen Greigel. Coach, wish you the best of luck on the rest of the year. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. We'd like to again thank Karen Greigel for joining us and, and for, you know, Greg, I think doing something that isn't easy and it's taking people who aren't as familiar with your sport inside your sport, um, whether it's it doesn't get the coverage that all the other sports do. You made a great point in the beginning. We all bowl, but it's different to know what goes into the inner workings of competitive intercollegiate bowling. And that is, it, there's a lot, the analytics the, obviously all the physical commitments to it. It's a lot that goes into it. It's not show up, you know, here's your ball. You're going to, you're going to roll. It, it was a pretty good conversation with coach. I'm happy she was able to join us. Yeah, it was awesome. And and I think she did a good job of, of really showing or telling how hard those girls train and work. And I wasn't kidding. Like those are long days. I've been to a couple of these bowling matches. It's a long day. I mean, and yeah, there might be seven or eight girls, but five of them are competing. And, you know, I thought it was interesting about where they have like timed drink and kind of snack breaks to kind of take their mind off of things and make sure they're staying like energized and in it. And uh, I thought Karen did a great job. 
one of the hardest things to do at those, you know, those track meets, those swim meets, those bowling meets is is the alonged focus these student athletes have to have, right? It's 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 getting ramped up and then, you know, kind of going down because you've got to play another school in, in, in an hour. That's such a unique student athlete experience, right? If you gear up for a football or basketball game, there's a clock, you know, when you're competing, right? That's such a different world. And I think that there are some similarities between, you know, bowling and track and field and swimming and even tennis to a lesser extent. Some of those sports where you'll play two, three matches on one day. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And I like when she talked about how, you know, maybe some of the people who aren't throwing the ball per se are still vital parts of the team because, you know, that's something that we, every coach preaches, right? The team is a team. It's an entire team. It's not just the, you know, in baseball, it's not just the nine kids out on the field or, you know, the starting pitcher. It's everybody. It's, you know, the bullpen catcher. It's the relievers. It's the guys in the dugout keeping morale up. So um, I thought that was just really good. It just really showed, you know, how how, the, how their sport is, is like any other sport here. It's just people don't think of it as a collegiate competitive team. And it's no different than when we sat down with Callan Smith and just taking you inside of programs that maybe you don't know as well as, say, the the men's and women's basketball programs. And, and we'll shift our focus into that, um, you know, and the, the great winter that's going on here at, at you know, Monmouth on campus. Uh, it's a busy weekend coming up. I, I mean, to say busy is actually an understatement. The women go to Siena this week, but then the, a home stretch of Friday with the men, Saturday with the women, the men are away Sunday, the women are home Monday. The men are home Tuesday. That's four home games in five days to have a chance to come see these teams play and to to get a great look at, us, at two squads that are playing well, that are in the top half of the league standings, that are you know eyeing buys in the MAC tournament if all goes well. Yeah, definitely. And the crowds have been really good. And you know, comparatively, they haven't been sellouts. They haven't packed a building. But when the game when when the game is on the line, it gets loud in there. The other the other day against Niagara. And I think we came back and George hit a three to go up by two or something. Yes. I like literally looked around and said, whoa, I think we had 1,800 people in the building or something, which is a, traditionally a small crowd for us. It was a day after a snow snowstorm. We still have all the COVID regulations with masking and vaccine checking and all that other stuff. And it was loud in there. I was like really impressed. And I got to give a shout out to the student section again. They keep showing up. And I know a lot of them are members of the track and the swimming teams, but they keep showing up. They're excited. They're loud. They're into the game. And, um, you know, I think we got some pretty cool promotions coming up just for the students to try to thank them and, and encourage them to keep coming out. And we do. And the best spot to keep up to date on all of that is actually the department's Instagram account. So if you have an Instagram account, which all of you do at this point, at uh, MU Hawks on Instagram is the best way to see those promotions that are going to be coming up um, directed at students. There are promotions directed, obviously, at the, at the kind of general population. But to echo Greg's sentiments, it, it's been very... Uh, it's been great to see the students. You know, the athletes are excited to be back on the court, and you can see the the students, and a lot of them are student athletes, who are happy to be back in the stands and, and who are making it a difficult place to play for the opposition. And uh, you know, it's been great to see. Also, this Friday, when the men take on Fairfield, really cool relationship that the university's developed with the best football team in the state of New Jersey, um, professionally at least, because obviously the best college team is, is Monmouth. But the New York football giants and Monmouth have a really nice um, kind of mutual advertising relationship. And 
we've been fortunate enough, and this pains Greg to talk about, so I'll probably have to carry it a little bit. Um, but the last couple of years, I, probably at this point now, five, six, seven years going back, um, a New York Giant alum will make an appearance because of that relationship. We've done it on the Super Bowl a few times. But this Friday, I'm really excited because I'm a Giants fan from, you know, a generation ago at this point. And, and two-time Super Bowl champ Pepper Johnson will be in the house. Signing autographs, 545. Then he's going to hang out and watch the game. He actually, through Giants people, told us, no, I want to stay. I want to watch that team because they're pretty good. So, um, you know, we're going to make sure that he gets taken care of. But um, you can't watch a, an NFL films or, or something from those late 80s, early 90s Giants and not see number 52 in blue running around making plays. So I'm really excited to meet Pepper Johnson. Yeah, and, I, you know. You're right. I'll talk about the Giants all day now. Last like five years or whatever. I love bringing up the Giants <laughs> then. But uh, seriously though, Pepper Johnson is a dude and he won two Super Bowls and he's going to be here. And I know there's a ton of Giants fans because I have to listen to them all the time. So if you want to come out, you know, your kids might not know who he is. If you're doing a bad job of educating them, if you're a Giants fan on the historic teams, Bring them out, get them to meet Pepper Johnson, and then watch us go out and hopefully get a dub against Fairfield. Team that knocked us out of the tournament last year. There's a little bit of revenge factor there. It's a great game to come see. It's the Friday night game. You know, the snow's pretty much gone now. It's going to actually be pretty warm the next couple of days, so hopefully it all melts. Uh, if you know, like Greg mentioned and I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a Giants fan, you know, it admittedly, but but Pepper Johnson was also a Cleveland Brown. He played a year in Detroit. He played a couple years with the Jets. And he's been a coach since 2000. You know where he's coaching now? This is going to blow your mind. Give me a high school in New Jersey. He is the head football coach, actually, for IMG Academy. Oh, down in, in Florida. Yeah. Yep. So he got that job. Well, uh, former Monmouth coach, Bobby Acosta. Yeah, I know. <laughs> one of his many stops was at IMG, I think. Yep. So now Pepper, so that's a pretty good deal. That's a really good deal. He was with the Patriots for 13 years. He's oh, in the, I didn't even know. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. He was a longtime assistant with Bill Belichick. So he's got a bunch of rings Oh yeah, on, he, the, on the coaching side, too. The two Super Bowls that we tout were the ones he won on the field. He was with the New England from 2000 to 2013, spent some time wow. in the USFL. I mean, yeah, he was a pro bowler. Like he's three Super Bowls as a coach and two as a player. Wow. Hopefully he brings a ring. If he's got five rings. He's going to bring a ring. Those guys don't do public appearances <laughs> without wearing the Super Bowl ring. Let them know. Well, we're super excited that he's going to come join us on Friday. Um, obviously, Greg and I will be there. It's a much less fanfare than Pepper Johnson. Um, so if you would like. Nobody ever asked me for an autograph. I haven't been asked ever. for one. No. No. And nor should. They. No. Why, I mean, why would you even care? If you want our autograph, you could stop us at Scala's and you can get it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anytime you want. But uh, we appreciate you checking out this most recent edition of Hawk Talk. We got some great shows coming up over the next few weeks with basketball transitioning into the spring sports, Greg. And, you know, going to have a chance to talk to some student athletes athletes that we're really excited about but this was fun with karen greigel uh, we hope to see you at the ocean first bank center this weekend uh, please subscribe rate review listen we appreciate all the support with hawk talk couldn't do it without all the listeners and all the great reviews that are out there um, so greg looking forward to the next one man good job definitely you too and uh like eddie said listen subscribe just pops up on your phone and tells you hey there's a new episode of hawk talk so before we even tweet it out or send it out or put it on our social you get to hear first, like, subscribe, rate, tell us if you hate it, come find me and say, Hey, why don't you talk about X, Y, Z, or I don't agree with you. We love it all. We do love it all. And we appreciate you listening. Catch you on the next one.
production of the Monmouth Digital Network. Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast distribution sites, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Pandora, and more. All rights reserved.